So we left off in uh, Intramuros, chapter 9. A poem by Henry W. Longfellow. That W would be Wadsworth. The only reason I know that is because I had the card game Authors when I was a child. Maybe you've heard of it. He writes, Not as a child shall we again behold her, for when... With rapture wild, in our embraces we again enfold her. She will not be a child, but a fair maiden in her father's mansion, clothed with celestial grace, and beautiful with all the soul's expansion, shall we behold her face. And I'm not sure who he's referring to. The next day, my brother being away upon an important mission, I started out alone to see if I might not find the dear young friends of whom I had caught a fleeting glimpse the day before. I knew that all things were ordered aright in that happy world and that sooner or later I should find them again, yet I could but hope it might be very soon. I recalled the happy light upon their fresh young faces as they had met the beloved master, and I longed to talk with them of their life from day to day. From thinking of them, I began again to think of my blessed interview with him, and became so absorbed in these thoughts that I was even oblivious to the beautiful world around me. Suddenly I heard someone say, Surely that is Mrs. Sprague. And looking up, I saw sweet Mary Bates a few steps away regarding me intently. I cried joyfully, My precious Mamie! She flew to me, enfolding me in her arms, drew my head to her shoulder in the old caressing way, almost sobbing in her great joy. Dear, dear little Muzzer, a pet name often used by her in the happy past. How glad, how glad I am to have you here. I could scarcely wait to find you. How did you know I was here, Mamie? The master told me, she said softly. May had already told me, and we were on the way to find you when we met him and he told us he had just left you. Then we knew we must wait a little, she said reverently. How my heart thrilled he had thought about, had spoken of me, after we parted. I longed to ask her what he had said, but dared not. Seeming to divine my thoughts, she continued. He spoke so tenderly about you and said we must be with you much. May had work to do today. And as she had already seen you once, I came alone. She may be here later on. May I stay a long time with you? There's so much to tell you, so much to ask about. Indeed you may. I had started out to find you when we met. Come, dear child, let us return home at once. So clinging to each other, we set out toward my home. What shall I tell you first? I asked. Everything about the dear ones, every individual member of our beloved household. Begin with my precious heartbroken mother. Here her voice broke a little, but she soon continued. I am with her often, but her great and I fear unreconciled sorrow keeps me from being the comfort to her I long to be. If only she could spend one hour with me here, could know God's wisdom and love as we know it, how the cloud would lift from her life, how she would see that the two lives after all are but one. Yes, dear, I answered. I always urged her to think of it, 
in that light and to trust implicitly in the Father's tender care and never failing love. But it is difficult for us to see beyond the lonely hearthstone and the vacant chair. Still, I believe she does begin to dimly grasp the comfort you are so eager to impart. Ah, if, she, if only she knew that I need just that to complete my happiness now. We cannot sorrow here as we did on earth, because we have learned to know that the will of the Father is always tender and wise. But even heaven can never be complete for me while I know that my precious mother is forgetful of her many rare blessings, simply because I may not be with her in the flesh to share them. There is my father and the boys, why I am as truly hers still as they are. I often sit with them all, with her hand in mine, or my arms about her. My dear little mother, why must she see me to recognize this? But this is almost complaining, is it not? Some days she will know all, we must be patient. As we walked on slowly, conversing of the earth life, still in many phases so dear to us, she asking eager questions, I answering as best I could, we saw a group of four persons, three women and a man, standing under the trees, a little to one side of the walk. The man's back was towards us, but we at once recognized the master. The women were all strangers, and one of them seemed to have just arrived. Her hand the Savior held, as he talked with her, while all were intently listening to his words. We regarded the group in silence as we slowly passed, not hoping for recognition from him at such a time. But just as we were opposite to them, he turned and looked upon us. He did not speak, but oh, that look. So full of tenderness and encouragement and benediction. It lifted us, it bore us upward, it enthralled and exalted us, and as we passed onward, the clasp of our hands tightened and rapture unspeakable flooded our hearts. We finished our walk in silence and sat down on the marble steps in the shadow of the overhanging trees. The dear child nestled close against my side and laid her head upon my shoulder while I rested my cheek caressingly upon it. After a time, I whispered half to myself, was there ever such a look? And instantly, she raised her head and looking at me said eagerly, you think so too? I was sure you would. It is always just so. If he is too much engaged to speak to you at the time, he just looks at you and it is as though he had talked a long while with you. Is he not wonderful? Why, why could we not know him on earth as we know him here? How long were you here before you met him, I asked. Oh, that is the wonderful part of it. His was the first face I looked upon after I left the body. I felt bewildered when I first realized that I was free, and I stood for a moment irresolute, irresolute. Then I saw him standing just beside me with that same look upon his face. At first I felt timid and half afraid. Then he stretched forth his hand to me and said gently, My child, I have come to take care of you. Trust me, do not be afraid. Then I knew him and instantly all fear left me, and I clung to him as I would have done to either of my brothers. He did not say much to me, but somehow I felt that he understood all of my thoughts. After a moment I asked, May I not remain a while with Mama? She's so heartbroken. Yes, dear child, as long as you desire, he answered compassionately. 
Will you also remain, I asked, for I already felt I could not bear to have him leave me. He looked much pleased, as though he divined my thought, as he answered, Yes, I will never leave you till you are ready to accompany me. Then I went to Mama and put my arms about her, and presently the master, too, came and whispered words of comfort to her. But I'm not sure she recognized our presence, though I fancied that she grew more calm beneath my caresses. We stayed till all was over. I never left Mama an instant except that twice I stole to poor little Hal's sick room when he was for a short time alone. I have always felt that he recognized my presence more than any of them. He lay so still and calm when I talked to him. He seemed to be listening. When they gathered, gathered for the last time about my casket, it seemed to me I must speak, I must show myself to them. Could they, for one instant, have seen my living self, standing so calmly in their midst? They would have turned forever from the lifeless clay they had embalmed and beautified for the tomb. They would have known I was not there, but they would not recognize the truth. At last I pleaded with the master to let me show myself once to them. There. But he said, it is not the Father's will. After that, I accepted fully the Father's will, and soon thereafter he brought me here in his arms. And what a blessed life it is. I can give only a brief outline of our conversation on that first happy day. It is too sacred to be scanned by curious eyes. We talked until the golden twilight fell, and we watched the little birds nestling in the vines, and heard afar the solemnly joyous notes of the angel's choral song, and joined our voices in the hymn of praise. Later we went to my room, and lay down upon my dainty couch for rest, and the last words I heard before sinking into heaven's blissful sleep were, tenderly whispered, Dear, dear little muzzer, I am so glad and happy that you are here. More than once the question has been asked, was there night there? Emphatically no. What, for want of a better designation, we may call day, was full of a glorious radiance, a roseate golden light, which was everywhere. There is no language known to mortals that can describe this marvelous glory. It flooded the sky, it was caught up and reflected in the waters. It filled all heaven with joy and all hearts with song. After a period much longer than our longest earthly day, this glory mellowed and softened until it became a glowing twilight full of peace. The children ceased their playing beneath the trees. The little birds nestled among the vines. And all who had been busy in various ways throughout the day sought rest and quiet. But there was no darkness, no dusky shadows even, only a restful softening of the glory. And that's the end of chapter 9. A couple thoughts that I have on that is when God created the earth, he worked for six days, not as we work, but he did his work for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. So just a thought I had as I was reading that is the days in heaven, 
and then the, the, the golden twilight when it's time for rest, is that one-seventh of the day? So is there six parts to the day and the seventh part? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. It's maybe a dumb thought. <clears throat> she did say that the days are much longer up in heaven, or the day is much longer. And, um, you know, I guess the only time we would need to rest is after doing much duty for the Father. But there must still be rest. You know, it, it can't be just go, 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 talk, 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 visit, 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 visit. You know what I mean? That, that can even be wearisome, I would think, unless you just never get tired of it in heaven. But, you know, down here on earth, it's like, when there's family reunions, let's say. And it's fun to catch up with everybody. And yes, in heaven, there's no rumors, gossiping, backbiting. Did you hear what she did and all that kind of stuff? And I'm sure, you know, but, but even, you know, Frank, her brother would say, it's time for you to rest now because I'm sure it was all very overwhelming. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't think in heaven there's night like there's night here where there's darkness and, and fear of darkness, you know, darkness as in, you know, what's out there in the dark and criminals and things. But a golden twilight, wouldn't that be beautiful? just to lay back and rest on a dainty couch. You know, I'm thinking, of course, as a, as a female. But, <clears throat> so, that ends uh, chapter nine. And it's, it's interesting. It does, she does get more descriptive, I remember. I don't remember, um, exactly what but I know she goes up to the throne room area she goes to the glassy sea she goes to parks and starts describing more of the surroundings um, yeah it, it does get more descriptive instead of like so much talking about people right now she's just getting acquainted with the people that she's met there so like I said before I'm not saying this is exactly what heaven is like. This is one woman's experience. She takes the name of Bertha Sprague in the book, but the author is Rebecca Ruder Springer. And um, so, you know, there you have it. Okay, until next time, have a best day.